Welcome to Exceptional Education, the education podcast by ANZ UK. Hello and welcome to episode three of Exceptional Education with myself, Rob Evans, a team leader for ANZ UK Education in Melbourne. Oh, and what an exciting show we do have ahead for you today. I'm very privileged to have had the chance to speak with Kim Robertson, who's the assistant principal at Glendale Primary School in Melbourne's East. We have Sarah Bailey join us, who's an exceptional member of the A-team working out of Melbourne's North. And Beth Wig joins us again to give us some advice on CV writing. Not much has changed on a school front since the last time we spoke. Schools across Australia bar Victoria are still open and completing face-to-face learning. And although there have been a couple of clusters of COVID-19 cases in Queensland and New South Wales, the health authorities there are doing an excellent job in limiting the spread of the virus at the moment. In Victoria, it's still the same picture as well. Unfortunately, all schools still remain closed, except to students from vulnerable backgrounds or children of essential workers. However, in some slightly positive news, James Molino, Victoria's Education Minister, has said that he's confident schools will return to face-to-face teaching in Term 4, depending on advice from their Chief Health Officer. Now, Brett Sutton, who is the CHO, said he thinks it'll be staggered in terms of seeing how it can work but he absolutely hopes that we can get there. So a few grains of positive news and let's have our fingers crossed that kids are back in school and learning face-to-face in October. Now on to our first guest on episode three. We are joined by Kim Robinson, who's the assistant principal at Glendale Primary School. Now I've been very fortunate enough to work with Kim over the past two years directly and she is an absolute pleasure to work with. Kim discusses her journey to Glendale Primary School as well as some of the challenges she's faced being a young leader and how she's overcome them. Glendale is a really interesting school too with lots of extracurricular options available to children as well as international relationships with schools overseas. Kim is one of the most professional, personable and organised people I've come across in my time in education and any advice she gives is well worth listening to. I hope you enjoy my chat with Kim. So on today's School in Focus, we are speaking with Kim Robinson, the Assistant Principal at Glendale Primary School. Thank you so much for joining us, Kim. How are you today? I'm good. It's great to join you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time to, uh, to have a chat with us during uh, what will be an incredibly busy time trying to work out everything with remote learning. So been working at Glendale for a couple of years now, but I'm just really keen to know what was your journey to get to the point now? So what has been your, your career in teaching, your pathway that's led you to uh, Glendale Primary School? Um, I started teaching, I was having a think about this, in 2003, so quite a long time ago now. Um, and I, I didn't initially want to be a teacher. I started with an arts degree and I thought I might be a psychologist and I was one of those people that did a diploma of education at the last minute. Yep. Um, I'm from a teaching family. I have um, a dad who was a principal and a mum who also was a teacher and some aunts and grandparents and things like that so I guess I'd always been in and around schools my whole life Um, and I just really enjoy the school environment I loved being a student and I love being a teacher working with kids and I guess people in schools are people um, orientated Um, and so I just found schools always to be a positive happy environment for me um, so after doing my dip ed, I started at a school in Roville and I was there a really, really long time, probably too long. I was there for 11 years. Um, but I had 
amazing opportunities at that school. I had a fantastic principal who really believed in um, building young teachers who, who wanted to be leaders and giving them multiple opportunities. So I'm always very, very grateful to him. Um, I had the opportunity quite early in my career to coordinate a team. I started coordinating um, year six um, and we were a young team and we just had such a good time and we were just happy to try anything and really try and engage the kids, do heaps of open-ended learning and projects and just have lots of fun with the kids. So I guess I started coordinating really early in my career and enjoyed that experience of mentoring and also the challenge because obviously there's, there's challenges along the way and working with different personalities and getting um, different people on board. I guess I was a younger leader so I coordinated teams as I moved through my time at Karoo Primary with uh, much older teachers so that was a, a good dynamic I think building on each other's level of experience but also as the younger teacher being the leader. Yeah, did you find any? Yeah, did you find any challenges with that um, being younger and having to lead people who were older and possibly more experienced than you? Um, I did. I remember. I uh, after coordinating, I then went for an acting leading teacher job at that stage, and I remember my principal saying to me, "How do you feel about uh, being a leading teacher when you've been a graduate of this school and?" And those older teachers have known you as a twenty-three-year-old yeah. who's just yeah. started teaching. And I remember saying to him, I, I don't really think it's a problem because I'm a strong believer of if you talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. And I always have done that. So um, I feel like I've always worked very hard, probably too hard at different times across <laughs> yeah. my career in terms of the hours, like all teachers. Um, but and I guess my leadership style would be building relationships. So I guess I've always spent a lot of time trying to build relationships with people. So whilst it was a challenge, I think I overcome that, overcame that quite well. My biggest challenge in leadership, and probably it still would remain my biggest challenge, is the difficult conversations aspect. And that's something that I'm continually building upon and doing professional development within because that's the part I find the toughest. I think probably most people would find that part fairly tough. But <laughs> Absolutely. With my personality, uh, that is, yeah, that's the hardest part for me. And it is a challenge, particularly if, if relationships is such a big thing that, that's so important to you. Sometimes think, oh, if I have to have this difficult conversation, it's going to affect my relationship. But sometimes you have to change the mindset of, well, actually, hopefully it will actually improve my relationship because I'm actually supporting that person in their growth. But I totally know exactly where you're coming from and you avoid the conversation and it weighs on your mind and it gets worse and worse and worse. But you always feel better once you have it. I'm actually reading, uh, well, part of our book club at the moment is... Um, Part of our book club's around, I can't remember the name of the book, but it's around feedback at the moment, but also actually about taking feedback on and how literally you get feedback constantly throughout your day and you've had it throughout your life and how you can best take that on. But yeah, it's um, it certainly is a challenge. But I think what one thing that really stood out for me with what you just said then was about your principal um, in Roeville about basically their, how they empowered you and were like, look, I want to give you, if you wanted to take opportunities, we want to support you in that. Do you believe you've taken that on in your role at Glendale as well with younger staff who show that they want to that they want to grow and show leadership skills? Are you able to 
give those opportunities to them because one thing I struggle to do is actually let go of certain things and I like want to do it all myself and I and you're actually stunting other people's growth I suppose when you do when you don't do that yeah I think uh probably for all teachers but particularly leaders delegation is a big challenge as well because you're used to doing it and you will do it and it'll be done the way you like it and yeah so I've also worked on that along my career and I love having conversations with young teachers about that in terms of whether they're leading teams and making sure that they're not doing um, doing it all because exactly what you said, it doesn't empower others. So, um, yes, I've really enjoyed sharing my pathway with those teachers as to how I got to where I've got now. Um, at a, probably not in today's time. I feel like I am a fairly young assistant principal, but um, obviously there's people five years younger than me that are principals at the moment, which is amazing. Um, but I never thought that I would become an assistant principal as early as I did in my career, but I've, I've really loved it. But yes, I do love mentoring and sharing and trying to provide opportunities to uh, learning specialists and things like that, younger teachers who, um, are really keen and sometimes they're like oh no I can't do that and I'm like yes you can I did that you know you can yeah that belief aspect of yeah the belief aspect of you, you can do this you know other people have been able to do it and I suppose sometimes it's that helping them organize and plan and prioritize which means that they're able to get those things done I was going to say have you ever um have you ever tried to humble the daily all duties off by saying oh this will empower you to be a better leader so I don't have to do it uh, well yes uh, I Look, I probably, I do have a control freak with our daily org. It's very big and wieldly, um, but I've got a great system in place. But yes, I have whenever um, my principal's fantastic in terms of providing leadership PD and wanting us to do it as a team, because I think then we do it together, we discuss it together and we we, um, implement it together. So there's certainly opportunity for learning specialists and also experienced teachers at our school to take on jobs like um, being the person to organise CRTs when someone's sick or to um, be the person dealing with wellbeing issues and parents and things like that when we are all out of the school. So I think that's a great thing about Glendale. There are opportunities for leadership for um, our teachers if they would like them. Um, and they're supported, obviously, through that process. I would always um, sit with teachers and explain the sorts of things that I do and how they could do them for a short um, space of time. Yeah, it's great to get that taste of leadership as well, I suppose, for people who are wanting to go into leadership, but also for people maybe realising, well, actually, that isn't what I want to do. And rather than maybe going fully down that pathway of, oh, that's just the next step, I must do it without actually experiencing it, then you could suddenly be in a position that you don't want to do, but that's your full-time job. Whereas if you get little tastes of it and doing those acting roles, it's a great way to take on the responsibilities and actually make that choice. Yeah, this is where I want to go. So, um, so... You obviously, you took that, was it an acting team leader role at Carew or, and then, and then did you go from? Well, I started with coordination and then um, it was an acting leading teacher role. So at that stage, literacy, along with many other teachers, that probably would be some advice I'd give. Teachers love teaching literacy and investigating literacy. So it's really good to extend your skills in other areas as well. Um, so I did have a go at leading the literacy area of the curriculum, but I've also um, led maths, which is probably not my um, preferred area, but I think 
that makes it even more important to know more about it and to be able to teach it really well and to be able to share knowledge. Um, I also led the integrated studies area of the curriculum at that school at that time. Um, I delved into assessment, um, not reporting, but assessment in terms of creating checklists with another colleague that um, other teachers could use, um, almost like the ICANN statements that we have now, unpacking the curriculum. Um, and then when I got to Glendale, it was an interesting situation. I also, I became a substantive leading teacher at Karoo, but um, I applied for, I sort of went sideways. I didn't want to promote. I just wanted to be a leading teacher in another school yeah. because I did think at that point, if I wanted to continue on and become an assistant principal and maybe even principal one day, um, I needed to have a breadth of experience. So even though I'd done lots of different things um, at Karoo, I knew I needed to teach at different schools. And I still think that to become a principal, it would be really beneficial for me to be an assistant principal at another school first. Um, so when I got to Glendale, there were two leading teachers and they, had, they were just outstanding. One of them still at the school. Um, that they'd been the only two leading teachers for a very, very long time. And I think my principal um, recognised that we needed more leading teachers and yep. to do the many jobs that there were and that curriculum leadership. But I guess my job was not clearly um, outlined as to what it would be. So one was in charge of um, English and the other was in charge of um, mathematics, science, technology. Um, and it worked well for a very long time. So I almost had to create my own job and I looked at assessment and reporting because that gave me access to a lot of things which I really enjoyed um, and also a chance to gain credibility with the staff because I think that's really important um, for people to follow and seek your guidance and support they need to think you're credible so I guess whenever you um, go to a new school and I, at my old school like I said I've been there 11 years so people knew me and they did know that I you know, walked the walk. Whereas at Glendale, they, they suddenly just had a new leader and didn't know much about me at all. Um, so I think I started with building those relationships and showing them that um, I did have the knowledge and that I also was happy to support and help wherever I could. So I used assessment as a, and reporting as that vehicle. And I also looked at um, Glendale has a high percentage of students who for whom English is not their first language. English is an additional language for them. So I looked at the EAL area of the curriculum, which was great for me because uh, at my previous school, there were very few students like that. So that was really good for my knowledge development as well. Yeah. It's, um... But I guess I'm, yeah, grateful for that. I sort of had to create my own pathway because I think it's really helped me get to where I've got today as well and work with a lot of staff. Yeah, it's massive. I think um, it's that that bravery to go, well, I've got it really good at my current school. It's going really well. I know everyone. I'm trusted. I'm seen as this leader. Do I want to risk it and go somewhere else? But then I suppose that you talked about being a people person earlier and and building relationships with people. That's the, the thing you need to do to build up that trust. And, and I, I, I'm a firm believer in that practice what you preach, walk the walk type leadership because that then straight away gets people going well 
they're not going to ask me to do anything they're not prepared to do. So I'm going to, I will follow that person. I can see that they are willing to put the hours in. If you don't see that and you're seeing someone who's just telling us what to do, then you're just like, ah, oh, they just tell us what to do and they aren't actually prepared to, to do it themselves. So that can, that's where that trust can go. And I was going to, I mean, I was thinking about mentioning it earlier, but you mentioned down um, that you initially did that arts degree in psychology. Do you believe my sister did something similar? She's she was into teaching and then uh, into assistant principal role. But do you believe that has really helped you with your relationships with the children and the uh, and the staff? Is that something that you th- think has been a real positive course to do before going into teaching? Yeah, I think so. Um, I loved it. I just learning about people. I I did um, I did an honours year and I looked at child child development and self esteem. So I, I certainly think that was very helpful to teaching but in general I think a psychology degree uh, is all about how people work and what they need so absolutely aside from the fact that I just loved it as well so yeah it was either going to be a psychologist or a teacher I guess the whole time <laughs> yeah well, I think it's I, I think I remember when I was doing my my training and I just felt all oh, this is about psychology and I was thinking I wish I had a different undergraduate degree rather than the one I did the, the, rather than the one I did because that's not really going to hold me in a, in great stead in terms of dealing with children's behaviour and those sorts of things. Um, you mentioned as well about that role that you held uh, in the science area of at Glendale. And I know Glendale has a very strong science and tech programme. So can you tell us more about that and how that's sort of gone elsewhere? Because I know there's a robotics programme as well that the school runs that has been really successful. Yeah, I didn't actually look at the science area of the curriculum. I probably, when I came to Glendale, I looked more at history um, with the junior school uh, because Glendale are very fortunate to have a leading teacher who is just amazing in that area. And she is a full-time, she doesn't have a class, so she full-time teaches science and technology um, with teachers um, and also runs a number of Uh, other programs as well in terms of robotics and competitions and things like that to work with the students and teachers that show a real passion in that area but I think it's such an effective model because she does at least two five-week science blocks with every year level across the year Um, and the model is once a week she'll spend an hour and a half with that class and teacher and then the teacher will teach Uh, follow-up science or technology or robotics lessons in the classroom across the week so it's a great way to develop staff professional development as well their knowledge of these areas I think traditionally um, it's great that science has become a real focus in schools these days but I think five ten years ago it probably wasn't Um, and I think the staff at Glendale would feel really, really comfortable to teach those curriculum areas because they have had that upskilling for so many years and the planning is really clear, well-documented. Um, so she's, she's a great mentor, but obviously within such a large school, we've got over 900 students at the moment. There's lots of teachers that show talent in that area. So um, my principal, Deborah Gossick, is takes those talents and releases those teachers so that they can write programs and work with other teachers as well within particularly robotics area of the curriculum. So it really is a fantastic model. And I think because Glendale's been doing it for so many years, we've got a really clear science and technology program across the school where those skills are developed from foundation up. Um, And it's, it's great when parents come to do a school tour, which 
I can't at the moment, it feels a little virtual tour, but they're always really impressed with the science area and what the kids are able to do. And I think often it's just let it, giving the kids the opportunity because they're able to take risks. They love these areas. They're happy to explore and investigate and build their knowledge. And it's just making sure as adults, we're happy to let them do that and feel comfortable to let them do that as well. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. And again, we talk about a bravery. I think the technology side of things is something that a lot of people just are turned off with straight away. But the fact that you've got a setup there with a leading teacher who can have the time to support those staff in in being able to learn how to do it, that will certainly support them. And then it means as well that the the lessons they're being taught in those in those sessions with your with the other leading teacher it means that that can then be backed up, as you said, in those other lessons because they're confident and, and able to do it. And, I, and that's the important thing. We spoke with um, Tanya Mount Waverley about how what's great about a big school like Glendale and Mount Waverley, it's the fact that you've got so many, because it's big, you can provide lots of different opportunities, which means that kids in different areas that do like different things are able to find what it is that they're actually interested in and can go down that pathway, which is really nice. And talk about the robotics program, and I know that you've you competed internationally, and Glendale has quite a few relationships with uh, with international schools. How does that impact on what happens in the day-to-day life of the students, or are there opportunities for students to go overseas? How, how does that all work? Well, it, it's really good. So we have competed with... Um, First Lego League with children often in five, six, but more recently down to grade three, three to six. So those children, their parents had a great opportunity to travel overseas and compete and just meet kids from other schools. Um, And those competitions are focused on obviously robotics and coding and that sort of thing, but also values, which is really important. Um, But we do have relationships with a number of schools. One of them is Sumner School in Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, And we send some of our year five, six students to spend a week in New Zealand and experience what school would be like and life would be like and the culture in that area. And then the following year, they come and um, come to our school and experience the same thing. So we get to share the sorts of special things that are happening in Glendale. Um, It's a host family situation, which I think is fantastic. So they get to stay with another family. Um, and same with the teachers. So when I first arrived at Glendale, I've been at Glendale since 2014. So in 2015, another teacher and I went across with a group of um, 15 kids. That's why I was two teachers. And we got to stay with other teachers. And I just found that experience fantastic. It was lovely to be in their home, but also just talk about how they approach different school aspects. And it, it, it is slightly different. So the PD that came from that experience was fabulous but also just the chance to see another place and explore and uh, New Zealand's a beautiful place Um, so we have that yeah we have that relationship we also are what is called a GEM school which stands for joint environmental mission so we've got a number of students who are very passionate about um, environmental issues and doing what they can Um, and so every couple of years they hold what's called a GEM summit where schools from around the world join together and they have, make a presentation and they share their kind of ideas around what needs to be done for the environment. And that's often held in um, Hawaii or America. So that is really fabulous opportunity. But I think we, we have a GEM representation, representative from year two to six. So the kids are always talking through those issues and what they can do. Um, and we also in grade five, six teach French. So 
the kids learn Mandarin or Chinese from foundation, but in year five and six, they also get an opportunity to learn French. So uh, every couple of years, we take um, some children to Numia where they can practice their, their French speaking and just be immersed in the culture. So I think, yeah, there are lots of opportunities like that for students um, if they would like. And I think our parents really like those opportunities too. We always get those kids to come back and present to our school council or education subcommittee. So it's a really good leadership um, opportunity for the kids as well. Absolutely. It works really well. Yeah, and go back to empower early. That will the experiences those kids will have, and empower other people to to make to think about. Oh, that's a, that sounds amazing. That's something I'd want to do. Sounds like you're very um, Glenda, very very current. Obviously, with the technology side of things, that's sort of they reckon every job moving forward or most jobs are going to be technology based. And I suppose the amount of stuff that's in the news now about sustainability and the environment that you seem very present and trying to see well what's going to be happening in the next few years that's where that's where we're going to focus our time ensuring that our children are best prepared prepared for the future and um, it was funny you mentioned about homestays I remember my brother uh, he studied German at secondary school he was a few years older than me and and uh, he did a homestay and we had a we had a German teenager come over to our house and I didn't speak a word of German and he didn't speak a word of English and I remember us sitting very awkwardly over the breakfast table eating, uh, <laughs> eating breakfast, not saying a word, although I did know the word for marmalade was marmalada. So that was the only thing I was able to, to point out and say. <laughs> yeah. That was about it. So talking about the future with uh, with technology and, and sustainability, what does the future look like at Glendale Primary School? Are there any things that are changing or coming in over the next few years? Um, I guess with this remote learning, um, our teachers, like teachers across um, the state and Australia, have been absolutely amazing at adopting new technologies uh, very quickly and using them effectively with students and also our students as well. Um, so we were using the Google platform prior and we're using that um, extensively at the moment. So I think ICT is definitely going to be a focus, a continued focus for us moving on. Um, we use the SMART program as well. It's an interactive software. Um, so we're looking to continue to push that through the school. We've got interactive panels in every classroom. So I think that will be a, an area of priority. Um, I guess student agency and choice, and I know it's what everybody says, but truly it's so important for student engagement. So that's definitely one of our focuses, how we can have project-based learning and kids making a choice. And you could just see when they have got that choice where the learning can go. Um, we have something called uh, a film festival in grade six, which we're trying to run in a modified form um, this term, where the kids actually script, they have a focus, they have an area or an issue that they need to focus upon. Uh, in previous years, it's been something like curiosity and they script a film um, and then they have to film it, edit it, cast it, all of that sort of thing. And then they present it at a special film night. And you can just see how much they love that and how much they gain from experiences like that. Um, in year five, we have an economics fair where the kids learn, you know, uh, consumerism and that sort of thing and, and cost benefit and they run a fair for the whole school and that's always a really popular thing. So I think we're looking to continue to do things like that and keep pushing our learning in that area so that we can engage students and give them choice. Awesome. Yeah, there's so much there. And I think, again, we talk about those different opportunities that you get that might shape 
your career and what you want to do and exposing the children to so many different things might make them realize well this is what i want to do like this is the the pathway i want to go down so that's amazing i think um about the online learning and and how that can hopefully improve teaching i guess we look at it from from our point of view we've been forced to work from home and you end up putting yourselves in situations that you wouldn't normally do because you are we're not sure how that'll work we know this system works so we'll just keep going that way well, we're forced into a, into a situation where we've got to try and learn new techniques and new ways of doing things. And inevitably, that might actually be better. So you've just got to try and, although it's been a real challenge and teachers have done absolutely incredibly in terms of just within, literally within like two weeks suddenly changing their whole model of how you teach. It's just, we haven't we haven't have to do that. Like, it's just amazing just the, the flip and how you teach. But there'll be so many good things when you reflect on it and go, well, actually, what worked really well from this? Are we able to actually do more stuff, um, more additional work that children can take on if they want to do outside of hours or whatever it is? There's so many different things, additional extension resources that we can just literally add on and parents can know this is something you can do with your child. So I think there's so much to learn there. But that's awesome, Kim. I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. It's been really interesting to know about your journey um, going from university and going down the teaching pathway and and how you've ended up at Glendale and all the different things that Glendale offers. So thank you so much. Thank you for all the work you do. And um, yes, enjoy the next few weeks of continued remote teaching. And hopefully we're back in schools in the next few weeks. Oh, I have all my fingers and toes crossed. (laughs) But yeah, it's been really nice to chat. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kim. Cheers. A big thank you to Kim for joining us on today's episode. I took a lot from our conversation and I loved the part about her story to where she is now that she moved from Karoo Primary School where she was already on the leadership ladder and very comfortable with the staff and the students but took that basic that challenge of moving over to a different school to learn from other teachers, learn from different students and really improve and increase her capacity as a leader. And I think it's certainly something that we can all take from. Sometimes that challenging role somewhere else might not be something that we want to do, but actually it's going to make us better at what we do now. So an awesome story there and something I can take a lot from. And on to our second guest of today's podcast, we are joined by Sarah Bailey, who is an education recruitment consultant in the North team in the Melbourne office. Now, Sarah's story is particularly interesting working as an education recruitment consultant because she's not actually got a background in education and she's come from a different industry, but it shows that you can be a success without having worked in the education profession. We hope you enjoy the conversation Kale and I had with Sarah Bailey. So on today's A-Team member in focus, we have Kale Taylor joining us. Hello, Kale. Hello, Robert. How are we? Yes, very well, thanks. And yourself? Very good, thank you. Good, good. And we're going to be chatting with Sarah Bailey, who joins us from the North team in Melbourne. Hello, Sarah. How are you doing today? Hi, Rob. Good, thanks. How are you? Yes, tickety-boo. All going well here. Thank you. So first of all, Sarah, for those who don't know anything about you, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and how did you, I suppose, find yourself over here in Melbourne? So I grew up in Wellington in New Zealand, so just across the ditch. And I had, yeah, great fun childhood, Um, large extended family. So um, youngest of four, which um, is interesting and um, <laughs> and yeah, so we had, yeah, a great, great fun childhood. Um, studies studied down south in um, in Dunedin and then travelled overseas. And I visited Melbourne when I was a bit younger and always really liked it. Thought it was a really cool, fun city. And um, 
yeah, made the move about four years ago now, which is, um, yeah, just uh, just past four years. And about two years ago, I was working in events and marketing and decided I wanted a bit of a change um, and had always thought about working in education or in consultancy, consulting. And I was actually on Instagram looking for education companies and I came across ANZ UK on Instagram. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I was at the pub, the Great Northern in, um, in Melbourne, and I met Alice, um, who is the our marketing manager at ANZ UK. So I met Alice through um, my boyfriend, Alice's boyfriend and my boyfriend used to work together. And we met and it was kind of a stroke of luck or fate or coincidence or whatever you want to call it, um, that we met and she um yeah told me a little bit about ANZ UK we met for coffee and yeah she just told me all about it and I was sound, I was really interested in the culture interested in education and then um got to meet um yeah the rest of the team and yeah that was about two years ago now oh, amazing. amazing I think um yeah I've been to the Great Northern Pub a few times but certainly haven't had a success story like that funny little tidbit for you Alice was the first person I met from ANZ UK. Ah. Yep. There you go. There you How go. did you meet her, Kale? <clears throat> what was that? Sorry, mate. How did you meet her, Kale? Wow, well, she was the first person I met through the door. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so not the same, but similar. Um, so without having a teaching background then, how have you overcome sort of the challenges facing a new market, heading into recruitment, which is, mm-hmm. you know, very different to what you've done. It is very different. It's a very different industry. Education and recruitment was were two things that I had never um, come across really before in, in a working sense. I did have a lot of the skills um, required for my current role um, from my previous jobs. So working with clients, working with um, customers, which is now, I guess, educators, um, and then I guess the organization admin using software systems. Um, those three main functions of the role, um, as I see it, I took from my previous job. So essentially I had to learn, um, I guess, more sort of recruitment focused strategies, a lot about the education system. I also being, having not done my um, my own education in Australia, that was a new new thing for me so learning that knowledge learning the terminology um that was quite a big challenge and I think the first two weeks were um yeah an absolute shock to the system about everything I did and didn't know but um it was yeah really great to be a part of such a great team and everyone was really supportive and I think I was yeah really grateful to be given given a shot not having had a teaching background however I think as I mentioned those three key skills or key comp- key um, areas of where I had experience really um, helped me believe that I could do the job um, and really give it my best shot having had experience in those different areas. Um, so I think there was a challenge not having the industry experience but having the the client management experience, customer service, those things really um, were a great foundation for me to then gain that knowledge and education and go from there. Absolutely. Brilliant. It's, it's really interesting, I think, <clears throat> that fact that, I mean, I 
working education myself previously it's almost like the only thing I feel I would be able to recruit in would be education but you've you and Kale both have proven that that's not the case at all you can work in 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 any industry I think as long as you've got the skills about the recruitment side of things it doesn't sort of matter what what um, industry you're working because you can learn the basics around that you may not be a specialist in it and it's I do believe it does help but overcoming that challenge would be a massive thing and now you probably know just about as much about education in schools in Victoria as I do you just gotta be, be prepared to play that long game I guess and go okay well I won't know everything straight away but you've just got to be comfortable with asking those questions um you mentioned then I suppose around a, a few of those things that you picked up in your previous role that did help you with this role but is there anything you've taken from your marketing background that you've been able to utilize in this job as a recruiter that's been able to, use to I suppose attract new educators or or bring them to uh, to work with ANZ UK? Yeah definitely I think having had experience in a few different industries doing marketing so I originally I actually worked in a juicery in Amsterdam and I started the social media with them yeah. um, I did a marketing diploma at uni um, and have done a few other sort of um, dabbled in a few other areas of marketing um, that has really helped I guess expose I've been exposed to a lot of different platforms so all of your social media LinkedIn Instagram Facebook a um, little bit of Twitter, weirdly. Um, don't know how, how relevant that is now, but having, um, you know, over the years, um, dabbling in a few different areas has been really helpful to see, I guess, which platforms different markets respond to. So um, I, Facebook is still very relevant and very um, useful for our educators to have that community. LinkedIn, I would potentially use more for clients. A lot of schools are now on LinkedIn, um, which is really great. And you can gather a lot of information as well from those different platforms. Um, so that's been really helpful. And having, I guess, that consistent approach and being, I guess, tasked with being their marketing assistant or marketing manager for a few different um, companies um, small, very small scale has really just helped me develop, um, yeah, some different experience through all, yeah, all the different types of marketing, whether it is social media or speaking to clients directly, the language used, the, um, yeah, language used, the different platforms, the, um, yeah, different avenues you can go down as well. I've done, um, been, you know, done some advertising in newsletters and just thinking about your demographic as well. Yeah. I think that is really key. Amazing. Yeah. When I heard juicery, I was excited we might get some smoothies in the office, but uh, marketing side of the juicery, okay. No <laughs> I did also, I was I was actually doing this, making the smoothies as well, so. Okay, perfect. Yeah, bit of a fun fact for so you. what's your excuse then, Sarah? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no excuse. I'll definitely, when, when we get back to the office, I'll be right on the smoothie machine, don't oh, you worry. I'm looking, looking forward I'll to it. All right. So what what advice would you give to, I guess, any recruiters looking or people looking to get into recruitment or current recruiters who might be struggling in their positions or anything like that moving forward? I think the key thing that I like to focus on and always come back to is the relationships. So your relationships with your clients and candidates is so important and building those relationships 
um, that are, you know, genuine. Um, you are lucky enough to be working with these people. So you need to make them your priority. Being open and honest and consultative with your clients, being caring, genuine and listening to your candidates, finding out about their family, finding out about, the, about their quirks and being involved in the candidate's journey because they are what your business is about. Um, I think that is probably the key point that I've learned over the last couple of years is that that really important relationship candidates, especially um, being really caring as we are in this current climate. Um, that's what's going to have a lasting impact as well, whether they're with you now, whether they are with you now and leave and come back later on. It's that relationship, it's that connection, it's that care. Um, and be, yeah, be creative as well. Send texts, send emails, try different marketing as we've talked about. Don't be afraid to make mistakes because you'll learn from it and you'll, you know, can do better next time. But yeah, that relationship, I think clients and candidates would be my, my biggest piece of advice. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it seems a bit more like it's not what you want them for them, it's what they want. And once you find out what they want, whether that's a client or a, or a candidate, that's when you're actually probably able to support them better and you're going to have that more genuine relationship. And uh, I suppose looking at the uh, the values of ANZ UK, which, which one would you feel that you align with most? Which one means the most to you? Most recently, I've aligned a lot with belief. We've been working on this a lot in our team um, around belief in yourself, belief in each other, and it's intertwined with all of the other values as they all are. Um, however, I think if you have a foundation of believing not only in yourself, believing in the purpose of um, what you're doing, believing in your own purpose and the people around you, then you can do a, you can do a lot um, in regards to your goals and growth and having that positive attitude um, and believing that things are, um, you know, things can be accomplished, things will get better, um, and believing in yourself to to grow and challenge yourself, um, I think is can really set you in a good good stead. And having that mindset um, can really help you in achieving your goals. Amazing, yeah, definitely one of my favourite values, Rob. Yeah, I think without it, it's one I've been thinking about a little bit more recently. I think without belief, you tend to put up barriers without realizing it by sort of thinking oh that's too hard I can't achieve that or we're never going to get there or it's too difficult and I think as soon as you and I suppose it ties in a lot with attitude another one of the values but I, I really do believe I guess that that the whole point of it is by just backing yourself and maybe you might not achieve everything you set out to to get to but what you do achieve on that way is massive. I mean, I, yeah, I can't even give you the right. exact stories here, but I'm certain <laughs> some scientists in the quest to create something have learned some. I know when I, I read this yeah. maths book called Fermi's Last Theorem, and um, they were off, all trying to solve this one maths problem. But basically the maths they did to try and solve that problem was a whole new branch of mathematics that if they hadn't been trying to solve that one problem, they wouldn't have never got to. So I suppose even if you don't reach the end point, all the stuff on the way it's still worthwhile anyway it's about the journey not the destination absolutely oh, perfect look at that right so just the pen as the penultimate question i guess um what what, what is your favorite parts of working with for ANZ UK with ANZ UK rather my favorite part of working with ANZ UK it would be the team and team culture 
Um, they are intertwined, but I think there is a real team culture from not only the immediate team, to, but to the wider division, schools division or AC division, um, but to the whole broader company. Everyone is there to help you and get around you when you succeed and also to be there when you need some extra support. Um, and there's always people to learn from. I feel that I could reach out to anyone in the business and they'd give me the time of day, help me out um, and support me in whatever whatever area I needed support in. So I think that team culture, um, you see it in the office as soon as you walk in the door in any of the offices. Um, and you can also feel it still while working from home right now in our weekly national meetings <laughs> or whenever you speak to anyone. Um, I think that's probably the biggest, um, biggest takeaway or biggest, um, yeah, the, the, my favorite part, I guess, about working um, at ANZ UK and that everyone is um, aligns with the values as well. So you always feel that people believe in you. A lot of people have great attitudes and positive attitudes that um, contribute to your own attitude and contribute to the culture. Um, so I think, yeah, the team definitely um, and the culture that underpins it all. Absolutely. Great. Yeah, I've certainly felt that. I think it was something that I noticed on the, on the, my first day and, I know. I mean, I work with Kale in the Melbourne office when we're in the Melbourne office now, but I used to, often when I'd go home, I'd go and work in the London office for a bit and uh, it very much felt the exact same place. Exact same. You know, I, did, I did have my best mate working there at the time as well, but it was just the same sort of, uh, just the same vibe, exactly. I don't know what you feel, Kale, going from London to Melbourne, if that was a similar vibe or feeling for you. Yeah, it was, in terms of feeling, it was the exact same. Obviously, Melbourne's a, a lot bigger in terms of numbers. Um, but, yeah, what a welcoming it was when I first arrived. It was amazing. Yeah, good. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to finish up now, Sarah. So thank you so much for your time today. But we all know that Daniel, the CEO, is a big fan of his dad jokes. <laughs> so we're really keen to hear what your favourite dad joke is. So hopefully you can make the listeners have a nice giggle. So what have you got for go. us, Sarah? So my dad, I had to come up with um, a couple to just just test it out. But um, <laughs> my dad joke is, um, I think this one's already been done. Anyway, I'll say it because I did really like it. And every time I hear it, it's okay. a bit of a giggle. What's the best thing about Switzerland? What's the best thing about Switzerland? Don't know. No I don't I don't know either, but the flag is a big plus. <laughs> very good. Excellent. Very nice. Yes, that's very good. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's been an absolute <laughs> Thanks pleasure. For having Thank me. you so much, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, Learning guys. about your uh, your background and how you end up with ANZ UK. So thanks very much and we look forward to seeing what you continue to do with ANZ UK. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. What an absolute classic that Switzerland joke was. It was nice to end the conversation on such a positive. And we'll leave the dad jokes there for this podcast. We are now going to be joined by Beth Wig, who joined us again following last week's tips on key selection criteria to chat to us about CV writing. There are a lot more jobs on recruitment online now. That has gone up from 160 last time we spoke to over 500 now. So if you are looking to get your applications in for jobs for 2021, now is the time. So here's some tips from Bethwig.
Hello, Beth. How are you? Yeah, good. How are you going today? Yes, very well, thank you. And thanks again for joining us to chat about CV writing. So my first question to you today is how big should a CV be? So it's all about, um, I guess, the the, uh, the ideal length because, um, of course, you want to look at maybe not including every single experience that you've ever had in your career, particularly if you've been teaching a long time, but you also don't want to be too brief in a CV, which just would leave the reader questioning you know, what experience you have had, what's actually going to be impactful and relevant for the role you're applying for. So a good rule of thumb is to maybe aim for two to three pages. Um, So that would give you enough space to detail things like your personal information, um, go through the most relevant or most uh, recent experience. And then you could also maybe detail a little bit of volunteer, PD, anything else that you might find relevant. But again, restricting yourself to two to three pages will just really help you to focus on what's the more, most important thing to include or the most relevant to the role you're applying for. Yeah, and I think if you have more than that, you've got to be thinking about the person who's reading your CV. And if they're an assistant principal at a school that's having over 100 applications and they see your CV is 10 pages long, they're not going to be able to find the relevant information that they're looking for and might just discard it straight away. So I think those, not the smaller the better, but it needs to be manageable by the um, by the person reading it. And with that, what personal information would you include on your CV? So good things to include would be, of course, your contact details, so your phone number and your email address. Um, sometimes your like your location where you're where you're living, especially if you're local to the school that you would like to work with, can be useful. Um, even things like your VIT number, I've seen on on some CVs, can be really helpful. Um, you don't necessarily need to go into your date of birth or your marital status or anything like that. Again, it's just about thinking of what's going to be relevant to what you're applying for. What might that person who's reading it actually use that information for and just sort of include what's essential yeah awesome and when you are so after your personal details you tend to then put I suppose your previous experience in employment when you're doing that what responsibilities in those roles would you recommend adding into your CV so um, I guess a good a good thing to start with would be looking at your most recent experience and then working your way down from there. And you really want to make the most recent experience the most detailed because what the reader is going to be assessing is what have you done most previously that's going to equip you to be able to jump into this role. So um, within that, of course, like dot points are fine, but even when you are dot pointing, make sure that you're really featuring um, responsibilities or roles or contributions you made to that school, which um, really helps stand you apart. And so within that, maybe not listing yard duty and attended staff meetings or did parent-teacher interviews because every staff member in a role similar to yours would have done that. So it's really about looking at Um, What were particular responsibilities or impacts maybe you had on your teaching team um, that you would really be able to um, contribute? Really what you're wanting to show through those dot points is um, sort of value, skill set and growth as well, one role to the next. Um, So it's good to sort of show that progression, especially if you have held lots of different roles over your career. Yeah, and I suppose the point of the CV is to make you stand out from the competitors. And if you're just literally listing the regular responsibilities of a classroom teacher, well, there's no standout there, is there? They, it's the minimum expectations doing things like yard duty and parent-teacher interviews. I think that's a great point that you need to be putting in 
what it is that separates you from someone else or the additional responsibilities that maybe you took on. Um, so I suppose most people who are listening to this would be applying for education-related roles. Um, is it worth having non-education-related information on your CV, so roles that maybe weren't anything to do with teaching in schools or working with children? It can be. Um, I think, again, it's about thinking about what you're applying for. If you're really wanting to show types of experience which are actually going to have adaptability to the school setting you're working with to contribute to the community. So by that, I mean, if you've done, um, you might be a a maths and science teacher, but you might be really keen on um, amateur theatre and the school you're applying for has like a really extensive sort of extracurricular drama program, then yeah, that that sort of thing would definitely be great to include but you know and as a pre-service teacher or a um, graduating teacher um, you know you might not have that uh, professional experience but that's where you can really hone in on what you achieved during your placements or even um, sort of really relevant or specific things you might have done more so in your uni context but for example uh, listing that you worked for McDonald's for four years while you studied um, isn't necessarily going to be relevant um, to what you're applying for and again when we are really aiming to have that sort of succinct and focused two to three pages there's really not that space to include too much experience that's not going to be relevant to that role yeah what about things like I suppose if you're interested in sport or playing music you mentioned just like drama then or, or art are they worth is that information or your personal interest is that something that's well worth putting into your cv as well Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to take up a lot of that space. It could just be personal interests and hobbies and you might have a few things dot pointed. That can be really nice to sort of help shine that personality through a little bit more as well. And again, that could be a a way to sort of show the school how you're going to contribute in a more holistic way to that community. If you are really keen on sport and the school does weekend sports as an extracurricular, they'll be able to say, awesome, like this person's going to really be able to um, engage with that. Uh, So yeah, it's definitely worth putting in those those little bits and pieces, even PD that you've really found that you maybe sought on on your own back. um, You might have really wanted to engage with for your own personal development or professional development if um, it's something that's really a topic you're passionate about or something that's really impacted you um, even sort of PD that you've done you can put in as dot points to your CV as well. Yeah nice I remember putting music on my CV actually and they asked me about it in my uh, in my interview and uh, they were like what yeah what are are your plans Um, what we how will you bring I suppose your love of music into into this school and uh, I did my aim was to start like a, a DJing club which lasted one session <laughs> because the um the kids weren't interested in actually learning how to do it they thought they'd be able to do it in a few seconds and they weren't interested after about 5 minutes but the great thing was it promoted conversation you know uh during that interview and it I guess it helped my as you just said then help my personality shine through which is um which is certainly what you need and uh, and finally what are your thoughts on referees uh, Beth what what should you include on your CV and what shouldn't you include so I'd recommend, especially because the um, if you're applying for a government position through recruitment online, it is quite important to have as much detail there as possible just because of the extensive process that information then goes through and, um, you know, just wanting to make sure that your application makes it through to the other side. So I know people get a little bit worried about including the reference details and might put instead references available upon request, but it is still really useful to put those things in from the outset. So step one to that would, of course, be approaching those references 
referees asking for permission to list them as references. Um, they might even want to send you a reference letter that you could take into an interview. So that conversation is valuable um, even to potentially get that sort of thing out of it as well. But then it also prepares them to potentially be contacted by a school um, and it, yeah, it's really useful to include uh, people in positions of seniority to yourself. So you might have been had someone that you worked with really closely in your teaching team to include as one referee, but then you also want to have ideally a principal class reference in there as well. So a principal or an assistant principal, um, because they would have sort of overseen different aspects of your work and ultimately sort of do this, the final sign off when it comes to your employment and child safety and all of that sort of thing. So it's, it's good to have sort of principal class references where you can as well. Yeah, I think it certainly adds a lot more weight to your application. I think if I'm looking at people who apply to work with us, if you see principal or assistant principal on their on their references, you sort you sort of know straight away that you're going to the top, you know, and you'll get a really thorough um, understanding of what that that teacher's done. So that's awesome. And um, I suppose what would be your your final piece of advice on CV writing? My final piece of advice is just, uh, you know, proofread, <laughs> proofread, proofread. Um, even if it's that you, you put it together and then you put it away for a day or two and then come back to it with fresh eyes. It's amazing. Even from like an aesthetic point of view, you can look at it and go, oh, actually that's all very squished together and the formatting doesn't really make sense. I'll do a tweak to that or, oh my gosh, there's a typo um, or have somebody else read it, particularly maybe someone else who's who's in teaching who um, might be able to use their own CV as a bit of a reference to maybe give you some tips if it's looking a little bit bare. Um, yeah, definitely the proofread, whether it's yourself or somebody else is a really great step to take. Yeah, I... Um... I can certainly vouch for that. It's a, I, you'd be surprised at how many CVs have the word principal spelled incorrectly on incorrectly. them. Incorrectly. Uh, spelled <laughs> principal with a P-L-E at the end. It is, it is remarkable, really. And I know um, that's that might not dis- distinguish you as a better or worse teacher than someone else, but it's quite a, a key thing that someone will see straight away. And obviously, when they're shortlisting so many CVs, just something as simple as that can make a big, big difference. So thank you so much, Beth. As always, you provide so much insight. So thank you again for your time today. No worries. Thanks, Rob. And those tips and tricks conclude episode three of Exceptional Education. Thank you so much to our guests. It's been a pleasure to have you on, Kim, Sarah and Beth. Really enjoyed chatting to all three of you. As ever, if you've got any questions or advice or want to partner with ANZ UK, always email au at anzuk.education or visit our website. Until next time, stay safe and speak with you in two weeks.